profound passage. And before I read it, let me, let, let me do a quick review. As we get near the end of this series, let me do a quick review of where we've been. We're on part seven of this series. We're going to have one more message on this, which will be next week. And then after that, I'd like to do two messages on Christmas, and then we'll have two messages on um, the second coming of Jesus to start the new year. So we'll end the year on two on Christmas and start the new year with two about time and what does it mean that the Lord gives us time in this life and the time is drawing short before Jesus comes to uh, make all things new under his feet. But um, let's review this. Uh, we are on part seven. Part one was called Beyond Religion and Selfish License. That the way we tend to look at about, about our life is also sh- so much shaped about, our, about the law. And, and what does it mean to be a good person? That typically in our society that there's two paths. Either a religious and be a good person path or I get to kind of live out my own self-fulfillment path, but that the gospel and real freedom is something beyond those two. We started applying these messages. Second one was about money, slavery and how we spend and save money. Part three was about how we seek after status and position. I called it freedom from status and achievement idolatry. Part four, we talked about relativism, duty, and real freedom. And in our society, we often want to say that there's a duty is a bad word in our society. But it really isn't ultimately supposed to be a bad word, but it isn't the ultimate thing either. They're supposed to go beyond duty, actually, into a deeper freedom out of our heart. Part five. We actually had a message after that, after with Joe, uh, um, with Joe in, in, in there. But then part five after that of this series was called Real Freedom and the Delusion of Control. And we talked about life scripts and the stories that we tell our life and the way that we seek and think that we're going to be in control of our life. And then last, we talked about the way we look at people. The way we look at people and relationships, and I, and I entitled that message, Beyond Neediness or Self-Sufficient Loneliness. Thinking that I'm fully self-sufficient in my life, that I don't need others, or to cling on to others too much to let them shape our lives. And today, I want to talk about something that's difficult. Um, and all these subjects are not easy. But today, we're particularly, I think, that could be pointed and hard for a number of us. Maybe not all of us. Some of you may be a little bit more secure within yourselves when it comes to, situ- uh, to this topic. But today's topic, um, I'd like to talk about our bodies and how we, look at our bo- how we look at ourselves in light of our bodies, you know, just who you are in your body and um, and. I would like to speak out of this very profound text and talk about and apply this text specifically to this issue. So let's go through that passage now. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 to 14. This is the word of God. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, that is Jesus Christ, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin 
That's how Paul describes our bodies. A body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. No longer has mastery over Him. No longer has principality over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin. Once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And here's a key verse, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, your mortal body, your current body, the body that you have now. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. We pray for today's message. Lord, be with me to now it's an extraordinary thing that your scriptures teach and its implications are vast but at the very least they have to do with how we look at ourselves and how our bodies are dying and our bodies are given over to sin and how we are under the dominion of sin Lord and I pray Lord we would see this truth this profound and powerful truth that being united to Jesus in His death and resurrection means no longer that sin has dominion over us and that our bodies no longer have to be under this dominion of sin, but that we could have freedom in a new and beautiful way. I pray that I would preach this confidently and your people would be blessed, that your our ears would hear and our blinded eyes would see and we will be renewed. In Jesus' name. Now, let me talk, step back before we talk about this particular passage. Now, I don't know if you guys know, if you've ever, you, know, you guys have all listened to me preach a little bit, I'm a, I have a kind of a philosophical bent. And what that means is that philosophers ask very weird questions, questions that nobody else asks, because they push. What they're looking for is the deepest kind of realities and things that most of us take for granted philosophers question. And I, I have to have one of those minds that tends to think in those kinds of ways. But do you ever ask, let me ask yourself this question. Are you your body or are you your soul? What are you? What makes you you? You ever thought about that? What makes you you? Do you have some special soul that's inside of you that makes you you? Everybody takes for granted that is the case, right? Now, I know there's some people out there that that uh, there are kind of you know, atheistic folks or there are people who are, who are even skeptical of the notion of the soul. But 
even those people operate as if there is some kind of special being inside of you, and this is the person that makes you you. But if that's the case, does that mean your body is not you? Hmm. that true? <laughs> does that mean your body is not you? And so it's interesting. If you were to get into an accident, and let's say you lose a limb in, your, in, this, in uh, some kind of a terrible accident, or you get some kind of bodily illness, and then you lose a, have to lose a limb, would that mean that your you is not intact? Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? The fact is, there's no way that who you are is not fundamentally a, connected to who you are in your body. It's a, it's a funny thing that we, we, we talk about. The body, your body is something that we describe as if something you possessed. Like there's a you, and you possess this thing called a body. As if the body is somehow distinct from you. But there, it's, it's not exactly quite true. It's a, it's a funny way we talk about it. The body is a possession, but your body is also you. Think about this. Your body absolutely, fundamentally shapes the way you look at the world and who you are. Imagine if you were four inches taller than you are now. Your whole life, you would just be looking at everything just a little bit from a slightly different perspective. I mean, if I was as tall as Joe, I think I would be happier. Okay, or at least I would. Well, at least I'd get to look down on everybody, just because he's he's kind of a tall guy, right? But or what if you were four inches shorter than you are now? It would shape you differently too. Let me get into the issues that we we now point this out to you as you start thinking about this. You start thinking about who you are. Every day you wake up, your body shapes that. How tall you are. How much do you weigh? I'll just be honest with you. I'll just uh, you know divulge some you know we usually consider private information here. I weigh about 155 pounds. Okay, that's about how much I weigh. You're like, hey, okay. So, what if I weighed 195? And I'm the height that I am now, five foot nine. How would I think about myself then? You think I would think about myself differently if I weighed 195 versus 155 and I was 5 foot 9? That's about how much. I know that some of you guys think I'm a giant. Right? <laughs> or at least you think I'm taller than I am. Somehow people often think that I'm taller than I, than I am. All right? But um, it's probably because I'm thin and I stand up straight. All right? But your body, imagine if that was the case. Or how about the shape of your body? There are parts of your body that you are worried about, or at the very least, you don't want people to know its shape. Maybe not some of you, or maybe not all of you, but some people, right, some, wear their clothes a very particular way because they're very self-conscious about the shape of their body. Right? And we choose our clothes. Isn't that interesting? We choose our clothes because if the, the shape of your hips or the shape of your rear end or your legs, right? Right? You starting to feel what I'm saying here? And this passage here talks about this thing. Um, well, actually, by the way, this, let me just, uh, just stop for a moment here. I'm talking about the way we look. 
And, you know, you look at yourself in the mirror and then, you know, you, you, you want to know. Uh, and then you, you go out there and you project yourself to the world. But do you realize you don't just project yourself to the world, you project yourself to yourself. So you have a particular image of who you are. Who you are, it has very much to do with your body and how it feels and how it looks. You know, you got like friends, um, uh, you know, I'll, he's not here, but I'll embarrass him in the second service too. But uh, John Kim took these pictures at, at, at bowling, our group, and you know, came out on Friday night. He had this picture of him like flexing his muscle like this, and I thought that was a hilarious picture, right? But that, that's, that's kind of like him, okay? Um, that's kind of what he's like. And um, you can see he, he must feel good about himself, even though he, doesn't, he thinks he's got muscles, but he actually doesn't, all right? Um, but imagine how that is, you know, how you would feel about yourself. Or what about if your body was sick? If your body is thin versus if your body is a little heavier. If your body kind of sh- is shaped a certain kind of way. Um, a big one for women is your hair. Hmm? Your hair. It actually says in the Bible that a woman's hair is her glory. Right? It actually says that in the Bible. And I think that is, if, even if women don't quite fully like, actually heard that truth, which is actually said in the Bible, they certainly operate that way, isn't it? And I think pretty much all you know, women of a certain age, certainly younger women, your hair is important. There are not that many women who don't, who don't care about their hair. And if you don't have put too much attention to your hair, it's probably because you think it looks good enough. And it probably does if you don't put a certain amount of attention to it. Um, guys, you aren't off the hook either. Guys care about their hair too. Right? But they especially tend to care about their hair as they get older. Why? <laughs> because you start to lose it. Right? Not every guy out there, it starts getting a little thinner. It starts getting grayer. And in this congregation, you know, most of us are, are, are relatively young in this congregation. But hey, and that, there is that. And when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're seeing what everybody else sees. But you're also seeing what yourself sees. And isn't there parts of your body and aspects of who you are in your body you just don't like? You just don't like it because you know that the world doesn't esteem it. Or the world has problems with it. Or the world looks down on it. Or the world feels sorry about it. And when you look at it, you know that the world and other people see that way and that's how you see it yourself. And then it just produces all this inside of us. Oh, isn't it? This frustration and fear and insecurity. Doesn't it? And this passage talks about this thing. Let not sin therefore reign. Reign. That means it actually controls. Let not sin therefore own. Reign as if having control over you. And I'm just talking about this. There's so many different ways that sin owns you. And, and, and if you tend to think about sin as primarily ways in which you do wrong things, like I lied or I, or, or, or I stole something or I said something bad or I, or I did certain kind of bad activities, then you really have a very fundamentally shallow understanding of sin because sin is a power. Sin is something that has an effect over you. Sin has a dominion and a control. And one way that that is, comes out very much is in our sheer physicality and in our bodies. I think it's very right 
that Paul talks about it this way. Let not sin reign in your body. It's interesting. He didn't say let not sin reign in your soul or let not sin reign in your mind, which are other places where he talks that way too, which is certainly true. But he says let not sin reign in your mortal body. So the very way that we think about our bodies and the way we deal with it, there's all kinds of frustrations about it. You realize that your very physicality and who you are, so much is in it. There's problems in it. And that the effects of sin, the curse of sin, and then sickness, or that your body is gradually wearing down and getting weaker. You know, and then, and we are very much obsessed with this. And when you're younger, it's often to do with your looks. Because when people are young, they're healthy. You don't worry that your body is wearing out. And then if you get tired, you just go to sleep. You know, when I was younger, I, was, I would do crazy stuff to my body. I would uh, just, if I didn't, in my mind, I would say, if I didn't study enough in the daytime, it didn't matter. I would just not sleep. And I would just go, sleep is for the week. Boom. And I would just take it out of my sleep. And then the next day, I would kind of go until there was no, I was on fumes. And then I could just crash. And then I would bounce right back. You know, so the things you can do when you're young. And then as you grow older, you're just like, no way. You just can't do that kind of thing anymore. And as you're, when you're young, you could abuse your body that way. But as you start to get older, you could feel that there's a less vitality and strength in who you are. And you just can't do certain kinds of things anymore. And just wait for some of you guys. A lot of you guys in this room are young. But wait till you get about 28, 30. You start getting into your early, your early and mid-30s. Uh, you'll fall down and you'll like bruise something or you'll, you'll scrape your knee and you'll notice that it doesn't heal the way it used to. You'll notice that you don't recover the way you used to. And you know what's actually happening? What's actually happening in you is you're actually dying. Your body is actually kind of slowly, you know, it's actually wearing down. And this also is part of sin. It's actually a part of the dominion of sin over us. And, uh, and when you're young, the way your body is and your whole image of yourself is so much about the way you look. But as you grow older, people start getting, you know, and, and you have, know people like my parents are this way. Right? They start concerning themselves much more with their health. And what are we doing? We're fighting back the dominion of sin. What we eat you know, people who were lazy about exercise when they were younger, they start getting a little, you know, they get this kind of renewed, like, conversion about eating right and then going out there and exercising when they start getting middle-aged and older. And um, they, then they start preaching to you about it, getting all preachy about it. I don't know if you're, uh, my parents are very preachy about, about health, and now I just kind of want to tune them out. You know, they tell me to do all kinds of stuff, and it just feels like nagging, right? But you feel this, too? And especially, you know, the way you look and things about you that you don't like. And we go out into the world, the world that has the dominion of sin, and as your body is out there, you, you, you're, you're fighting this. And how do we try to deal with this thing? We try, and I think the two ways that I think we lack freedom, you could see that there is enslavement in this issue, right? That the way we're not free in this, one is... We try with tremendous might to control it. 
We put tremendous energy and money, time, energy, maybe even obsession in some cases, to make ourselves look right and to present that right image. There's so many creams that go on our face and into our hair. And probably in, in this country, maybe we, we use it more than any others. Things to make ourselves smell right, the clothes to make yourselves look right. Nowadays, I mean, it's a kind of a funny thing, especially here in California to me. Um, do you know that if you want to go for a run in California, all you have to do is just go for a run? Because the weather's good all year, year round. I mean, except for rainy days, right? But you know what we do? We spend money <laughs> to get a membership at a gym to run on a machine that doesn't take you anywhere. <laughs> when you actually think about that, that's what we do. Right? And we spend all this money and time. I'm not saying it's bad, but when you actually think about it, from, a, from in the East Coast, gym memberships made total sense to me. But on the West Coast, I don't know. It doesn't entirely make sense to me sometimes, right? But we do this. Because this investment to make our bodies a certain way, the control of it is one side. The other side, though, is maybe sometimes we just give up on it. Oh, nobody will care about the way. And we just let it go, right? We let go in how we eat or how we dress or how we do our hair or how we do this. And then, and then we just hide that, right? But inside, inside, we don't really feel, feel good about it, do we? I know I've been talking in general. Let me give a couple of examples. Uh, I'll talk personally here now. I mean, you know, this is not easy, right? I know this is not an easy message. Um, I'll give an example. When I was a teenager, I got acne. still get it occasionally today, right? And it's interesting. Now that I've grown older, you know, my skin doesn't, it wasn't like great when I was younger, but it's better than it is now, right? And, but especially when I was a teenager, Man, when I was about 13 years old and I started getting like pimples and stuff on my face, man, I hated it. <laughs> Gosh, I hated it. And it wasn't just because you had a little something on your face, right? Like it's a nuisance. It's not a nuisance. It affects all of the way you think about yourself. And especially when you're a teenager, you care very much <laughs> about, am I a good-looking guy? Because will the pretty girls that I'm around, will they think I'm a manly guy, right? Is that, and that's like, and guys won't ever say that out loud, but I don't know, pretty much every guy thinks that, right? And if there's something on you, I mean, if you are blessed and lucky enough, fortunate enough that you're just a super handsome person and you don't have any blemishes on your face or on your body, it's right for you. You can be the popular you could be the great popular man on campus, but it's interesting. The dominion of sin is still over that person because their body is now, it's interesting, because you don't think that they have a dominion of sin over them. It does. They still have a dominion of sin. They're like, you mean every day? Every day because they wake up and their self-image of their body is that I'm a good-looking person and it's true. But now that's their pride and now that's their identity. And just wait for all of, the, all of the rest of us who, who felt ugly in high school in one way or another, okay? Just wait. Wait till they hit about 34, 35, 44, 45. They start losing their hair. They get start getting certain kinds of wrinkles. All the pretty people 
will feel the way all the rest of us do. And they'll start to feel that loss. This is the dominion of sin over our bodies. But when I was a teenager, man, having the acne, it was, it was, a, it was I never want to admit it out loud, it was a very shameful and painful thing, right? And yeah, I got the creams and all that kinds of stuff. And, you, you know, at night or in the morning, you're looking at your face going like, oh, man, that one's particularly ugly. What can we do about that? Can anything be done about that? You, some of you guys can relate to me on this. And if it isn't pimples, it's something else, isn't it? Right? Let me tell you another example, a little bit more painful. And this comes out in so many ways. Um, when my wife and I, this is when we were still dating and living on the, uh, in, in Boston, we met in Boston. And this was very early on, before I was ordained, I was, I was you know, in, in the Korean church, we would be, you know, we call it Chandasa, right? I, when I was still, before I was ordained, I was very young in ministry, um, you know, we were in a church not a whole lot different, this younger than our, our, our church, uh, a lot of college students and young 20-somethings, primarily in the, in the congregation at that time. And um, I was, you know, on ministry staff, and w- we had a Saturday morning prayer meeting, and I led it. So I had to get up. It wasn't too early. We made it at a very, you know, you can't get college students to wake up at 6 a.m. to kind of call a prayer meeting on Saturday morning, but we had hoped that maybe some of them will come at 9 a.m., and sometimes they would. So we had a 9 a.m. Saturday morning prayer meeting. And there was a, a, a young girl in our, in, in our church, and um, I don't actually remember her name. I wish I could remember her name, right? She only came to our church for a short time. But let me describe her to you a little bit. She was, um, she was Korean and ethnic descent. So she's Korean. She looks, so she, she was a Korean American church. She'd come to church. She looked just like everybody else. She was Korean. But she was adopted. And so she grew up, and her parents were Caucasian. She was adopted. She had, you know, average height for a Korean, you know, for a Korean American girl. Um, and she had an athletic build. So she wasn't, she wasn't heavy, um, but she wasn't skinny. And she was athletic. If you look at her, she, she had kind of, she had a bit of a muscular build. And you could tell she was athletic. She had an athletic build, and she probably actually was athletic. You could tell she was athletic. But she didn't have kind of like classic thin features, and she did not have certain like model-type features. And that's the way she looked. And she looked fine, right? And she did not grow up in the church. Her parents were not Christians. And she was about, I think, I, I think she had finished. She came to our church probably after her sophomore year or so, or in the, in the middle of her junior year. And somewhere in her, middle, in her freshman year, she became a Christian. So she was a relatively new Christian. But she had become a Christian through an actually rather profound and incredible conversion story. Her story, I won't go into all that. She had a remarkable conversion story. She became a Christian somewhere in the middle of her freshman year or so of college or end of her freshman year. Her parents were very uh, encouraging and must have been very loving people. And um, they had heard, they lived not far from our church. They they'd heard that there was a church that was Korean down the street. So they knew that their daughter now went to church and they always encouraged her da- their daughter in exploring and understanding something about what it means to be Korean. 
So now, so I mean, imagine what kind of remarkable parents that she must have. Her parents are not Christian. They adopted someone of a different race and ethnicity. Encouraged their daughter to explore what it means to be Korean. And now their daughter is a Christian and goes to church. They actually encourage their daughter. There's a church down the street. It's Korean. Why don't you go? That's how she ended up coming to our church. So her whole life, she grew up in this kind of a loving environment. So she comes to church. And she's thriving in our church. She, she, she's, um, she's, a, she's a baby Christian. She loves being in this Korean setting, exploring something about meeting Koreans, and she is, and she is, uh, you know, is thriving at, um, in her faith. And that summer, the summer after, I forget, I think it was her sophomore year, she was very excited that she was going to spend a whole summer and going to go to Korea, and she, that's what she was going to do. And she, was, she told a number of us about it, and we were all excited for her, and she went. Okay. So one morning, one of these mornings when I was leading prayer meeting, and you know, young people, they come to prayer meetings, especially on a Saturday morning, very sporadically. So um, and on any given Saturday, I, I wasn't sure who would come. I, I, used to, I used to go to church, and I'd have to hit on, uh, hop on the subway. Boston's like that. You'd get on the subway to go to church. And I was like, I'd, I'd be praying at church, Lord, let somebody come. <laughs> right? And on any given Sunday, prayer meeting might have me and like two other people up to like 12. I think once well, there was one Sunday we had like 15 people. That was like incredible. Okay, That was like a great Sunday. Right? Um, and at this time, Grace and I were dating. Grace would come faithfully to prayer meeting, probably because her boyfriend led it, okay? Um, so there was one Sunday morning. It was Grace and me, you know, this one we're dating, and, and this, this young college girl had come. Now, this was, she had gone off to, to Korea. She had gone to Korea. Um, she had gone to Korea for the summer. She had come back. And this was in the fall, somewhere... Um, probably not too dissimilar to about this time of year, late fall, early winter. And she came out. And she was the only one. And we noticed that when she had kind of returned, because, you know, she usually goes off to college. She, it wasn't a local to college. She had just come back to, uh, to, 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 to Boston, because Boston's her hometown. College isn't where she goes, even though there's a lot of colleges. And she had just come back, and we had noticed her face wasn't the same. She didn't have the same joy and the same gladness. And in that prayer, she came to this prayer meeting and she came specifically to receive prayer. And she told me and Grace this story. She said, I went off to Korea and everybody told me I was fat and that I looked ugly. So for the whole summer, you know, she went into the world, and her body was not accepted in that culture. And then what did she begin to do? And then her whole image of who she is began to crumble. And she says that toward, in the middle of the summer, I began to, I didn't want to feel this way. I, I felt like I started to look at myself differently. And so she began to... Um, Purge. You guys know what this is? Some women do this. They eat, 
And then after they eat, they go into the bathroom and they puke it all up. And we call this bulimia. She didn't even have a, a name for it. She goes, so I began to fill up. And she says, and she says, I know this is wrong. Right? I know I'm not supposed to feel this way. But sometimes I still do this. I, I'm not even in Korea anymore. But I can't help but when I look at myself, I don't like who I see anymore. Right? And Grace and I, man, our heart just broke. To hear this girl who just six months ago had this brightness and this excitement to explore what it means to be Korean and, and to be Christian, now she was just sitting before us. She looked the same physically, but on her face you could tell that inside her spirit had been crushed. Right? And you may not be like this in various kinds of ways. Right? Your body is physically dying, but it's more than that your body is dying. It's that there's a dominion of sin over you. And the way your body is in the world is under the dominion of sin. It's dominion, the dominion of this. And it expresses ourselves in this great need to control, or in her case, she had given in. And she was crushed inside of her. And the only ways that she would seek to try to control and just get anything was to be in this bulimia. And she came and she knew it was wrong before the Lord that this isn't how it should be. And she came for prayer, and we prayed for her. And after it was over, I still remember this. Grace uh, gave her this big hug, right? And we wept for her. And then, uh, and then, and then she went back to school, and, and then we didn't see her. You know, she would we'd only see her during the breaks, and then we didn't see her, right? And. Even if you're not exactly quite like her bulimia or this, I think almost all of us can relate to something like this, right? Something like this. That the lengths that we go to, that because our body is under the dominion of sin, and can feel this thing, you can feel the actual death that's happening in us, and the great lengths and energy that we do to seek to cover up our shame and our hurts and our woundedness and our dying. Now, with all that said, what does this passage have to say to you? That's everything to say to you. What this passage has to say is so crucial for this issue. Because what this passage says, I mean, Paul goes on in, in his way. He says this, if this, this. I mean, let, let me just go on. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin, the body that's under the dominion of sin, your body now, your, the physicality of your body, the wasting of away, the death of your body, and all the ways that it affects your spirit and your soul, your heart, your fundamental being in person, and all the ways that it crushes us, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that this, but your body would come into something new. And so that we would no longer be enslaved, is what he says. And he goes on to say these things, and you know what he's offering to you? What he's offering to you is that 
if you believe in Jesus, you believe in the gospel, that what you get is what some theologians have called united to be union with Jesus Christ. You get a union with Jesus Christ. If we have been united with him, if we have been united with him, you are united in his death, with his, in his death and in his resurrection. And let me spell out what this means, right? And especially how this has tremendous relevance to this issue of our bodies and our personal image. That if you have been united to Jesus, you get everything of his. Everything that he has done, including the way he dies and the way he's risen. And if you are united with Christ, his death is in you. And do you know what that means? You know, when we are in this mortal body, this body that's under the dominion of sin and the way it affects us, we know that there's all these marks of the curse and the way we are dying in us. But if you're united to Christ, it's not just your death that you are feeling in you, that your death is united to his death. And all these rejections and all the weakness and all the shame and all your inner dying, your spirit dying, and your physical way it breaking you down, Jesus joins his dying to yours. And all your rejections and shame die on the cross with him. And it says in here that not just his death, but his life. Right? It's his life. His life is in you too. And you know what his life is? Let me say this something to you. So many people today think of Jesus. When you think of Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God. He came. He was born. He was born, laid in the manger. He lived like us. And then he died. And then he was risen. And then he went to be at the right hand of the Father. And he's reigning as the Son of God, right? And then we think, well, now he doesn't have to worry anymore about all this bodily stuff. It isn't, that's not an issue for him anymore. If that's the way you think, you're wrong. Because now, Jesus, the life that Jesus has now, is always a bodily life. Because Jesus is resurrected. And when Jesus is at the right hand of God, do you understand that it is the man, Jesus? Of course, he is God. He is the God-man, the man, Jesus, who has a body, who has his own resurrected body, which you can recognize, which will still have the scars, which he showed to his, the, the doubting Thomas, his disciple Thomas. That very same Jesus with his body is reigning now. It's in his very body now that he has a life. And that life that he has in his body now mysteriously, you are, is united to you, that life is now in you. And let me tell you something that's very important about that life. Think about this. You know, um, I'm a father of three children. And once you become a father, I hope this is like this for almost all fathers, right? Uh, all parents. You find out something that's really quite extraordinary. You'll have a kid, and your child is born. 
Now, whether your child is ugly by the world standards or pretty or handsome by the world standards, whether your child is strong or whether your child is feeble and weak, whether your child is fat or whether your child is very skinny, it doesn't really matter, right? When you are a father and have a baby and you have, a, you have this child, your child, you know what, you, you, and you look at the body of that child, you know how you think about that child? Your child is just perfect. It doesn't matter. You look at this child, and your child is just beautiful before your sight. Always. 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 Right? Um, I, have a, I have the Google screensaver on my computer, and I love it. And it's linked to all these pictures. And I keep all our pictures. Ever since I got a digital camera, which is when my kids were you know, babies, I put all my pictures on there and all those folders on there and it just randomly just routes through and I get to see all my kids from when they were one, five, two, ten, and they all show up. And let me tell you something. Whether the picture comes up when they're, my son is ten or when it comes up when he was just a little baby, all those pictures are absolutely beautiful to me. And if he had a pimple or a blemish or something, let me tell you, it means nothing to me. Literally nothing to me. And when Jesus, his life, in his body now, he's before the Father, you know, you know how he thinks about himself? Do you think the world, the Korean world, or the American world, with all our obsession with physical health and vitality and beauty and the magazines and the supermodels and all that stuff, do you think that that affects Jesus? The one person that affects him is his father. And his father looks at him with absolute pleasure. And that is in the life. That is how Jesus looks at his body. And that is in his life. And if you are united to Jesus, all that is on you, that you are ashamed of and they're rejected, it dies with him. And the absolute security that he has before the Father, absolute. Right? You know what I'm most happy with my kids? Is when they're at home and they're doing this. When I watch my kid do this, they're sitting around, read the book. You know why? Because when they're like this, they're shaking their body. They're doing something. My son would get up, and, he, and and I let him actually do this unless I think he's going to spill something or break something. He actually takes like this little, this little soft, spongy baseball, and he'll go like, and he'll like practice. He'll practice his, his pitching motion. He does this in the family room in our house, and you know it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. Why? Because when my kids are doing this thing, you know what I see in them? Absolute freedom and security. They're in my house before mom and dad. They have no self-consciousness about the way they look. They know that mom and dad looks at them with pleasure and only in love and in beauty. And their body, they don't even think about their body. It's just pure security. right? And do you know what you have if you're united to Jesus? You have that to the nth degree pure bodily security. 
Because that's the life that Jesus has from his Father. And if you be united to Jesus, it says to you that the dominion of sin is no longer on you. You can actually have authority in your life to cast that off of you. You actually have a power inside of you because Jesus is alive. His life is alive inside of you to cast this dominion all this sin and shame and self-consciousness and insecurity off of you so that all of your life can be like my kid. Because everywhere you go, you're in the house of your father. Everywhere you go. That's what the gospel offers. That's what this passage offers. And I hope you think about that today. This Jesus, where everything that you don't like about your body dies with him. And absolutely every security that he has with the Father lives in you. Let's go to the Lord's table. We're actually going to eat and have the life of his body come into us. Let's pray. Lord, oh, if we could look inside of our soul we would see all these downcast faces and so insecure and so bent out of shape. It just affects everything. The way we dress, the way we talk to each other, you know, how we date, if we date, who we want to marry. Lord, this dominion of sin over our mortal bodies. And yet today, I pray, we would taste something of this incredible truth that all our death is dying with you and your life will break into us. You're absolutely secure. You're absolutely free life before the Father in your body coming to us in our body. As we go to the table now, I pray we would see you and you would meet us and minister to us. In Jesus' name.